Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to another podcast in the mobility space that I think you'll enjoy, the Rideshare Guy podcast by Harry Campbell. Harry has become a trusted expert on all things rideshare, and he may be the only person ever to have driven for Uber and also interviewed Uber's CEO on a podcast. On the Rideshare Guy podcast, Harry interviews a wide range of industry and thought leaders in the rideshare and mobility space. You can find and subscribe to the Rideshare Guy podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. This is Smarter Cars, a podcast about autonomous vehicles and the future of transportation. Welcome to season four. This is your host, Michelle Kairouz. In our final episode of season four, we're talking with Sam Baker, the co-founder and COO of Wonder Mobility, a company that makes technology to launch and scale shared mobility services. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Can you start by telling us what Wonder Mobility does and some of the different products you're offering? Absolutely. Wonder Mobility is a technology company that allows cities and companies to launch new mobility services overnight. So whether you are an operator that wants to launch a new ride-sharing platform or whether you are a fleet management company that owns a lot of cars and you want to enable a new car sharing operation, we provide the end-to-end technology solution, software, services, and even vehicles to enable you to get your service off the ground. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you have fleets running on your platform? Where are some examples of uh, customers that you have and products that they're uh, serving? Wonder has operations in over 100 cities around the world. We work through our partners who are our customers, and we have over 70 that are live to date on six different continents. So a very diverse range of geographies that we're serving. And examples would be everything from a global automotive company like Daimler, all the way down to a venture-backed startup like uh, Carmel in the United States doing car sharing. We serve a range of customers always with the same common platform. And tell us a little bit how your platform works. Let's say I was interested in starting a scooter shared mobility company in a city in the United States. What do you do for your customers to make that happen? The first step is to understand what type of mobility service that you want to operate. And we collect a lot of information from our partners to understand what it is that they really want to do. The next step would be that we focus on creating a customized front-facing version of this application for your, for your customers, which includes the branding, how you want to position the user experience over and against the end customer. And then we set up a lot of details in the background, pricing, uh, business areas, certain types of rules that you would like the customers to follow. All of that is done easy and very configurable process in our technology. And uh, in a matter of weeks, provided we have the right information, we can get connected to the vehicles on the ground and get a mobility business really launched. And you mentioned you also help procure vehicles for customers that want you to help with obtaining the fleet. Yeah, we have a vehicles program, and we've found that interacting with operators, it's uh, often the case that the reliability of the vehicles as they are connected to the software can be an issue. You know, one benchmark that we've seen is that up to 
5% of the time that a customer tries to open a vehicle to use it, there can be an error and you can't access the vehicle. And so we have a dedicated team internally at Wonder that focuses just on working with vehicle manufacturing partners, the telematics providers that are the connectivity devices that are installed in the vehicles, and then of course our in-house software engineering team, and we streamline the integration process. So in a sense, we have this pre-certified or pre-integrated providers that we work with, and we can guarantee a much higher degree of reliability for our customers. And so we see average error rates then for our integrated products around 0.01% failure rates on opening opening vehicles. So significantly better than the 5% average. And that's because we're doing all the backend groundwork of working with those partners within the supply chain to make sure that what you're getting at the end of the day really works out of the box. So you mentioned that some of your customers are using your technology for car fleet uses. Can you talk about some of the innovations that you've seen, say, for rental cars or car share in Europe or or the United States? One of the main challenges with the car rental process, from my own experience, is just the offline manual steps that you need to go through in order to get access to a car. If you think about making a reservation, fortunately, we can do that online these days. But then you show up at a rental car location, you got to wait in line, you have to fill out information. It seems like they should already have a lot of information about you, but you have to fill it out on a piece of paper nonetheless, key handover, walk to the car, etc. And what our technology does is it streamlines the whole process of reserving the car by selecting the type of make and model that you want, guiding you to the location that you can pick it up, and then at the same time, you can unlock the car with the application itself, so you don't even need a physical key. So this whole offline process is completely replaced with a convenient smartphone application. And this innovation is driving a lot of the disruption in the rental market. And it's not just new and innovative car sharing operators, but there are also legacy fleet management companies, car dealership groups that are beginning to digitalize large portions of their fleets because they find that not only do customers want it, but at the same time, it can actually create high degrees of operational efficiency. So lowering costs and then at the same time, increasing revenue for their business. Are you seeing companies combine uh, traditional car rental with something like uh, free-floating car sharing or ride sharing? Well, to be honest with you, I think the challenge is how to distinguish one from the other at some point. There's a lot of overlap. Um, We do see that there are both legacy fleet management companies as well as emerging operators that are beginning beginning to offer both the option to book a car on demand in a city environment where the cars are spread throughout the city, or some people call that free floating, as well as the ability to pre book that car in advance. And that pre booking the car in advance and being allocated a certain you know class of car, like economy class or business class, that's something that is very similar to what the traditional car rental process would be. And so the um, consumers, it seems, are really asking for the flexibility to be able to do both depending on the situation. And Operators are responding as well with that ability as well. Yeah, it feels like the car rental business, especially at airports uh, here in the United States, has really declined. And folks are using Uber and Lyft to get where they're going, especially with respect to business travel. So it's interesting to think about more of a digitalizing of the process and how that might facilitate different types of usage for 
a, a typical car rental fleet, particularly in cities where car sharing might be uh, more of interest. Yeah, absolutely. We are working. We're working with a major European um, automotive company, and they're having a challenge that sometimes cars that are coming off of leasing programs, which your classic program where you pay a monthly fee to get access to a car, they might not be at a point of having been driven enough. Right. And what I mean by that is it might be a low mileage car that is not ready to be sold in the market because they can't get the full value of the car from the end customer because the end customer doesn't appreciate the low mileage value of that car. They're just looking at the this is the brand and then this is the model year. And they have they're in a unique position where they they need to drive the car more and make more money as a rental to get to the point, the perfect point of having the right mileage for this model year to be able to sell it. And, you know, for an end customer, it's like, well, you just drive the car and you increase the mileage. But for a large business with massive fleets, how do you actually systematically in a very precise way add the right amount of mileage to a car? Well, you can do, for example, car sharing programs or digitalized rental programs. And this is precisely what we are now doing in Europe is enabling this streamlined rental process to increase the mileage that's on the car and ultimately optimize the usage of that vehicle for that business. So moving to micromobility, what are you offering for fleet providers on the micromobility front with respect to electric scooters, bikes, or, or other form factors? Our Wonder Vehicles team offers the whole spectrum of different vehicles that you might see in a micromobility context. So we've deployed um, e-bikes as well as scooters. And it functions very similar to the car sharing platform. You know, it's an end user application that the user can use to unlock the vehicle and really have that whole end-to-end -end experience. So you've raised some money to launch here in the US. I know you're based in Europe. What areas are you focused on in the United States and where do you see the growth in the United States? The U.S. market is very focused on the automobile and where we, whereas we have a diversification of different products that we offer in the European context, there's a very strong focus on micromobility. We've seen that the U.S. market is very attached to the, to the four-wheel automobile and so that is an area that we at Wonder Mobility see as a really high potential for growth in the short and the medium term. And it's really those fleet management companies, those car dealership groups that have large fleets of cars that are in many cases not connected to the internet and are not accessible for the end customer in the most streamlined way. That's where we see a massive opportunity for digitalization. And we're providing a very a high quality technology product at the same time at a very accessible price. And so what we're finding in the market is that we're able to even digitalize much larger fleets because of this accessibility as well and scalability of the underlying technology. In Europe, in particular, where perhaps you have more of a focus on micromobility, do you expect to see smaller players continue to enter the market? I mean, it seems like your platform is not really needed by the bigger brands, a Lime or a Bird or someone who has their own platform. But do you expect to sell your product to micromobility companies that are just starting out? Or how are you looking at that market, especially in Europe? 
It's a great question. We are really focused on what we call the 99% of mobility businesses. There tends to be a focus in the media on the usual suspects, the large companies, the Ubers, Lyfts, Limes, Birds of the world. However, if you look at the breakdown of, of trips in cities, it's really a very small fraction of trips that are actually digitalized and even smaller that are done from those larger platforms. And our technology is designed in such a way to be accessible for very small companies as well as very large. And we see a long-term opportunity to be a common platform for anyone of any size to be able to access the type of technology that they need uh, to run a mobility service. So this is particularly pronounced in the European market as it relates to micromobility. We're seeing operators emerge in not just the major capital cities, but also in in so-called second tier and third tier cities where you have much smaller population density, but you can still, you there might be existing operators that are running transportation businesses that want to expand into new business areas or new businesses that start up can be supported even with smaller population sizes. How does that work? I often see smaller cities in the United States, perhaps they have a lot of tourism or they have particular transit hubs where people need a first mile or last mile solution. How do you think about that in terms of how big does a city have to be? How many scooters or bikes or mopeds would be needed to serve the community? How do you think about that problem? Yeah, it's certainly not the case that you can only be successful in transportation in very large cities. We have a team at Wonder that focuses on uh, data science and really understanding before our partners launch in cities, what is the overall potential in this market based on publicly available information we can get related to things like population density as well as existing transit services that are be being used, be it uh, public transportation or private vehicle use. And so we can actually, with our internal teams and tools we develop, we can help our customers predict what is the demand going to be for a particular service in this area. And it's not possible to, to generalize as I was mentioning before, and say, okay, only these types of cities are possible. We're really seeing successful use cases across the spectrum of cities, but we do provide that extra layer of analysis that we support our partners with before they're going to launch a city to help them figure out if it, there is a potential in this particular market. When you talk about the 99% of trips that are currently not uh, big micromobility or rideshare trips, what does it take to digitalize the other 99% of trips? I mean, does it involve getting people out of personally owned vehicles first and being interested in purchasing on a per trip basis? Does it require addressing public transit trips or increasing the number of people who are using micromobility? Like what does it take to, to get at that 99% of trips? The 99% of trips in cities is actually U.S. data. If you look at 1% um, of trips are being processed by Uber and Lyft, and 99% is some combination of private car ownership, public transit, taking the subway, taking the bus, or walking or riding bikes. And then it's a pretty diversified a way that people get to work every day and home, and it also depends on where you live, right? So in some cities, um, it's more common to use public trans transportation than others. Unfortunately, I don't think there's one clean answer to say this is how you get people out of private cars. 
it's likely going to be a combination of providing an array of different services for individuals to use depending on the use case. Like if I'm going to the airport or if I'm going to work or I'm going out late at night with friends for dinner, it might be a different way to get around. And so a core principle that we have is, you know, the 99% of, of the of the vehicles in cities and way to get around are actually not connected to the internet right now. They're not managed by a smarter mobility service. And so the first step will be getting most of them connected. And the second step would be providing consumers with an array of choice that they can decide in this particular circumstance, what is the best transportation mode for me right now and making that process as streamlined as possible. How does your platform work with public transit? Do you see transit systems as potential customers for uh, a platform like Wonder Mobility? We absolutely see cities as key to the future of mobility. This is one of our core hypotheses as a company that cities will play an increasingly important role in how new mobility systems are rolled out in cities. Certainly, cities are responsible for the comfort and safety of citizens and how we get around. And you've started to see now, cities start to ask really important questions about what are private operators doing in, in my city? What is the impact on the citizens? How can we improve the process? How can we improve these systems to provide a higher level of service to them? In all likelihood, you'll see a combination in the future of, of cities offering both publicly available services that they own and operate, busing, subway systems, and train systems, maybe even uh, also ride-sharing services or carpooling services, but then in parallel in the same city, they would be responsible for managing the private operators that are there and ensuring that there's a high level of quality and safety. And so cities are going to play a very important both operational and also regulatory role for mobility in in the future. And that's why we've uh, focused on creating products that are also specific for cities because we understand that they're going to be major decision makers moving forward. One of the products you're offering to cities is a city dashboard platform for analytics. Can you tell us what that looks like and where you are implementing that? When some of our partners started to look into the possibility of launching micromobility services in cities in Germany, one of the questions they got from cities was how they were going to manage their operations in terms of overall safety and ensuring that it wasn't having an impact on the quality of life in cities. And one question that came up was, how can these private operators provide a higher level of transparency as to exactly what's going on in their operations? And so in collaboration with some of our partners and initially the city of Hamburg in Germany, we created a dashboard product called Wunder City, which connects all of the private operators in the city of Hamburg to a private dashboard for the city for the purpose of analyzing where the assets are on the in in the city, how they're being used, and also influence the transportation planning and also the regulatory decision making. And as an initial step, this was very interesting because it allowed a greater level of comfort between the private operators in the city to say, okay, the operators are being proactive and trying to help the city get the information they need to make better decisions. And since then, we've opened up the conversation to other cities in Europe right now, and we're currently pending new launches of this platform. And it's actually become a tool that has enabled our customers to have very proactive and very open dialogues with cities and help them actually win the confidence of cities in this 
rather complex uh, proposal process that you need in terms of getting approval to get in cities. And so this, this dashboard product at the moment is providing our existing customers with a way that they can have more transparent dialogues with cities and hopefully open the door for bigger collaboration. And do you have common standards or APIs so that the data is all formatted the same way and presented to the city uh, kind of apples to apples across providers? We absolutely have a common data standard we're using, which is the standard that the city of LA uses, the mobility data standard MDS. And so this is the common format that we're seeing pop up again and again around the world, not just in North America, but increasingly in Europe as well. And that is the same standard that we are using as well for rollouts in European cities. And in terms of the data that the providers in Europe are collecting and and passing on to the cities, there's been some controversy in Los Angeles around MDS with respect to the question of how much data, what types of data are, are being collected and the privacy issues. I think everyone likes the idea of a common standard and a common format so that it's not different for every city. But I think the question is around what data is collected. How is that working in Europe, which I guess has very stringent privacy laws? Europe definitely has very strict privacy laws as it relates to data. And in the case of collecting information from cities, you absolutely are providing anonymized information to the city about the general movements of vehicles um, for the purposes of the city making better decisions. And there's another aspect that the operators themselves want to ensure that the information they're sharing is also not going to be used against them in some way. And so we've had to work through a very intense process of finding the right um, medium between sharing information, but then also protecting the privacy of, of course, both the individuals, but also the operators themselves that have very sensitive um, business data, which we can completely understand why that they, they would be concerned about how it would be used. And so I felt like we have seen that at the moment and we've come to um, a good understanding and have been able to really um, implement our first few use cases now in, in cities. But it's definitely a topic that is going to keep on coming up in a, again and again, I can imagine. The mobility providers in uh, Hamburg provide the city with individual trip data or is it aggregated by neighborhood or sort of a larger uh, geographic area rather than individual trip data like starting address to ending address? The data that's collected in the Wonder City platform is aggregated by different sectors of the city, different neighborhood areas, and there is no information that is personally identifying um, that is uh, shared with the city. I know some cities uh, like Berlin and others are starting to have mobility as a service or MOS offerings that are subscriptions where you pay on a monthly basis, for instance, for a pass that combines transit access with new mobility or rideshare, other services. How does Wonder Mobility fit in with a city MOS type offering? So the MOS offerings are 
of really interesting topics. It's something that's rather new and something we've been taking a look at and I'm a bit uncertain at the moment how it's exactly going to evolve. Certainly this idea of providing an aggregation of different options to end customers is something that will be offered and likely it's going to be cities that will provide and host this uh, this platform. And for us, the Wonder City platform um, can be an initial starting point to work with cities and find what are the ways that we can build a common platform to host many different operators as options for the end customer in one platform. But it's definitely an early stage of the business. There are some examples of mass companies from Daimler, as well as the Peugeot group in Europe that have struggled to gain the traction in the, let's say, the, the basic business model of just providing that mass platform. There needs to be some other type of business model evolution that happens in order to make that sustainable in the long term. And I'm not sure if we at Wonder Mobility have the answer yet as to what that business model will be to sustain those types of mass platforms. But certainly the collaboration with cities is going to be a key aspect of that. And the technology foundation that we're building right now is the stepping stones that we're going to need to kind of get there ultimately. Many people in the micromobility space believe that further expansion of form factors will continue. We've seen iteration with kick scooters, seated scooters, electric bikes, mopeds. Do you think we're going to see pods and golf cart, cart type vehicles that can ride in bike lanes as we uh, continue to expand micromobility in cities? And I'm sitting at CES this week looking at lots of different electronics and new vehicle types. And I've heard some jokes, to be frank, about some of the new pods that are coming out or egg-shaped vehicles. And I think that they're actually, while maybe a little bit funny looking in some situations, they're actually pointing to a much larger and important trend, which is if you think about how we get around cities every day and the amount of people that are sitting by themselves in cars or even with multiple people in cars that are designed to drive 60, 70 miles an hour on a freeway, but we're stuck in traffic driving 15, 20 miles an hour average, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, the amount of energy that's required to move these vehicles around, the amount of space that they take up, there has to be a different form factor that evolves. And that form factor is likely going to be much smaller. It's going to be produced in a very different way, will likely, very likely be um, powered by electricity. And it might not even be produced by the kind of usual suspects in the automotive market. In fact, it's likely not to be produced by the usual suspects in the automotive market. But this new form of light electric vehicle to get around cities and everyday trips is certainly going to be a major, major part of everyday trips in cities. And I'm not sure if we have found the right form factor yet, likely not, but it's definitely going to happen. It's interesting that you mentioned that American cities are more focused on cars traditionally and micromobility is just taking hold here in part because of the way our infrastructure is currently set up. Do you think that having these kind of in-between micromobility vehicles that are pods or you know something more like a car than a bike is something that might have greater traction in places that are traditionally car friendly? I absolutely think that a vehicle that's a little bit feels a little bit more like a car and you can sit down can be much more comfortable for a certain type of passenger, but also in certain cities and environments, for sure. The 
uh, segue egg that was uh, announced at CES this week is um, one of the more interesting designs, let's say. And I'm not sure if that particular design is the thing that's really going to take off ultimately, but I do think that there is an interesting difference between standing up on a scooter and sitting down in a way that's more like sitting in a car that one you know, shouldn't take for granted. So I, I think I've heard Wonder Mobility described as being like AWS in the mobility market in that it's designed to uh, do some of the hard back-end work for customers so that they can uh, focus on building their service on top of it. AWS works because there are lots of people creating lots of apps and, and websites who need that service. Mobility companies are harder to build. They need physical assets and city permission and road space. So how do you think about the addressable market for Wonder Mobility in terms of how many mobility customers can there be with different types of products and services? And how are you thinking about the market? I think there are two aspects that are important. One is that as you've stated, it is very difficult to run a physical operation in transportation. And I was speaking recently at the North American Fleet Owners Association's conference, and they asked about the future of technology companies and how they will impact the industry. And I said, you know, one of the things that technology companies that are you know, venture back coming out of California, just to pick on an area that they struggle with is operations and managing assets and the depreciation and the cleaning and the maintenance. And this is a, a learned skill that some companies have been doing for decades and gotten really good at and run very profitable enterprises. And so then when you ask a company that is really good at that to then invest in a new area that is totally unknown, software technology, telecommunication services, and say, get really good at building your own stuff in this area, it's not always, in many cases, so so practical. So there, there's an opportunity right there for an you know, AWS, Amazon Web Services type of service to say, hey, let's just help you provide you something out of the box that can get you going real fast. And there is a second element, though, that um, despite the fact that we would love to provide one out-of-the-box solution for every transportation use case around the world, it's also not very practical to think in those terms. So we've actually developed um, a new team within Wonder called Wonder Tools. And what Wonder Tools does is we've developed a series of um, open APIs that can be read by um, any software engineer and understood how you can actually influence our our platform technology. And what that allows developers to do is actually build new services on top of the Wonder platform. You know, we're not going to be able to come up with all of the best ideas of the types of applications that you would need to run a service, but we can certainly empower our customers, provided that they have the technological capabilities to develop their own applications. They can connect via our tools APIs to the Wonder platform or also third-party developers in a more extended marketplace if they would like to build on top of our existing and very strong and growing base of operators and provide services for them as well. So I think the combination of those two things can really uh, contribute to a very, very large market in the long term serving the 99%. Another area that's gotten some attention, at least in the United States, is this question of microtransit or trying to offer on-demand shuttles, either in a corporate environment or as part of 
coverage for a public transit system. And, you know, there's companies like Via and other companies who have been partnering with public transit agencies and others to try to provide these services. We're also seeing some autonomous vehicle companies like May Mobility offer shuttle services. And I'm wondering, what is Wonder's uh, product that addresses sort of an on-demand shuttle service? Is that something you're, you're doing? We have a product at Wonder Mobility that's called Wonder Shuttle that is addressing the ride-sharing market. So in comparison to car sharing or scooter sharing, where you're driving yourself with a vehicle, the ride-sharing product is focusing on being driven by a professional driver and either in a one-to-one use case or in a pooled environment setting. So the the Wonder Shuttle product would be our uh, positioning within the ride-sharing space. So you would be helping a company that wants to provide ride-sharing perhaps with a slightly larger vehicle to do the routing to pick up multiple passengers and, and that kind of thing? That's correct. We mentioned earlier you have raised some money to launch in the United States, and you're based in Germany, but you've opened an office in Los Angeles. What does the next year or two look like for Wonder Mobility in terms of number of employees, growth, city focus? So we just closed a very large round of funding, and we're investing primarily in building out our team and um, investing in our our technology. And one of the areas that we're investing in terms of team is launching in the United States, which we did at the end of last year. We opened a small office in in Los Angeles in California, and we're really focused on onboarding new customers in the U.S. market. And a goal for us in in the coming year, specifically within the U.S. context, would be we're going to be announcing some of the first launches of the customers that we acquired last year that will be forthcoming very, very shortly and sharing that with the uh, broader market. And then the second area is that we're going to get a, um, a lot deeper in the area of vehicle sharing, specifically with fleet management companies and dealers, large dealership groups that are in a position right now where they have extremely large fleets, but a low level of connectivity and low level of digitalization there and are really interested in out-of-the-box solutions. And we're going to be um, working together with some of the larger groups in the U.S. to deploy the first examples of having digitalized their fleet in 2020. Well, we'll stay tuned for all of those developments. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on the podcast to talk about Wonder Mobility. Thank you so much for your time, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks again to Sam for joining us. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find the show notes for this episode and all of our episodes on our Medium publication called Smarter Cars. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.